You're brave people on a snowy morning. Did anybody get more than a foot at your house? Yeah, yeah, they did. I know. All right, a few of you did. I think we were 10 or 11 inches. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? What I think is funny is when people complain about the snow, and I'm like, you live at 9,000 feet in the mountains of Colorado. I mean, come on. But anyway, I love it. I think it's great. Hey, if you have your Bible, or maybe you use a Bible app on your phone or something, would you open it up to Ecclesiastes? It's a book that's a little bit harder to find because we don't often go there, so... If you have to use the table of contents, but find Ecclesiastes and turn to chapter 4 and keep your finger in it. We'll look at it in a minute. But let me ask you, what do you think of the concept, first things first, or keep the main thing the main thing? You can say it in different ways. I hope you like it because God does, and so I hope you do as well. Um, God in, himself, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think we have to learn to keep first things first. I love how Paul, the apostle, kind of took that and, and ran with it when he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He wanted to keep first things first. Make sure that he is focused on or locked in on trying to win the right prize. Make sure that he's running the right race, those kinds of things. So with that in mind, we always want to have a vision, a focus for our church and our ongoing vision is what is on the walls. It's all over our website. We've talked about it a lot. Some of you, if you're part of our church family, been here all the time, you might hear it so much. You're like, okay, I got it. Well, it's good to be reminded. And for new people, we want you to always understand what we're about. And that is loving God, loving others, and changing lives through missions, discipleship, and community. But it's about these three things. They're based on two verses, two passages of Scripture in the book of Matthew. When Jesus told us, and I'll just put it on the screen, I won't even read it for you, but when he was asked what the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is, in all the law, he said, he said basically, in short, you can read it, he said, love the Lord your God with all you've got, everything you've got, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then later, some of the last words he said before he went back into heaven were... He called, we call them the Great Commission or the Co... Yeah, the Commission, and, and basically that means two missions. He said one is to go and make disciples, and secondly, I want you to teach them everything that I've already told you. He told us all of that, and so we want to live life as a church with that kind of focus, loving God, loving others, and changing lives through missions, discipleship, and community. So we talk about those a lot. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about missions. We had our team of people from, that went to the... Phil, or went to the uh, Went to, to Thailand, thank you, I've got the Philippines on my mind, and also a team that went to Mexico, and uh, we had others going in other places, and so we had them um, on stage talking about that last week. Discipleship is something we talk about all the time. That's why we have the elder class, elder-led class at 8 a.m., and we have men's groups and women's groups throughout the week at different times. We had the ladies do a kickoff yesterday to start even more things that are happening in that context. Well, a lot of cool stuff happened there. And, and anyway, we're excited about discipleship and that concept. But this year, we want to talk about and focus on that third piece that we talk about, and that is the word community and the idea of relationships. That's going to be our focus this year. Let me ask you this as we get started with it. What's your favorite number? Anybody have a favorite number? I mean, there's, it's not a spiritual question. It's just 
17 for some. For me, it was 14. All, always has been because I was a big fan of Dan Fouts, uh, uh, you know, Eric Coriel and, and the whole uh, lightning bolts, the, the Denver Broncos, I'm not the Denver Broncos, the San Diego Chargers. In fact, let me ask you, what's your least favorite number? My least favorite number was always number seven because I didn't like John Elway growing up because, because I was a Chargers fan and then I moved to Kansas and I became a Kansas City fan and John Elway was always leading the Broncos to beat the teams I liked and so I didn't like him. But I've lived here now more than half my life, over 25 years, and so I am now a Bronco fan, so I'm fine with the number seven. But I'll tell you what my least favorite number really is. It's the number one. Number one, because I think one is the truly, truly it is the loneliest number around. It's the worst number, at least when it represents isolated or being alone or on your own. These kinds of things come with the number one, and so therefore number one is my least favorite number. You see, God didn't create us to be islands to ourselves. He created us for togetherness. So I want to show you this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you have it, you can follow along with me. Chapter 4, verses 7 and following. Solomon, the son of David, known to be the wisest man, God blessed him with great wisdom. He tells us some interesting things here together. He says, first of all, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Now, let me explain one little piece there. When he says meaningless under the sun, that's a phrase he uses quite a bit, under the sun. It's in my estimation, as I read through and look at what he's talking about, it's his way of talking about things that are, from a secular mindset, it is meaningless. It's under the sun. Now, maybe in the bigger scope where God sees things, it might not be meaningless, but in the, in the context of under the sun or in the worldly perspective, this is something that's meaningless, and that's what he talks about a lot. And anyway, he goes on to tell us a story about a lonely guy, a rich, lonely guy. He says, there was a man all alone. In fact, the original language literally said he had no second. So anyway, all alone, and he had neither son nor brother, which are the two most important connections for a man in that time frame, especially if he's going to pass down anything or have partners to work with and all of that. He had no son or brother and, uh, and who knows why? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us why. Maybe he lost them. Maybe he never had them in the first place. But from there it goes on to say, there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? In other words, he had a lot, and yet he had no one to share it with or to pass it on to, which unfortunately does become a common thing for many people. He was working hard all the time, and yet he could not find contentment with what he was accomplishing. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? In other words, he's saying, what am I doing? Yeah, I recognize this is not wise, it's futile, it's, it's, it's not productive, and yet even though he saw that and asked himself that question, it doesn't appear that it was enough to stop him. And he just kept on going down that futile road. This too, Solomon says, this too is meaningless, a miserable business. So Solomon, with the story of the rich man, illuminates this problem that is something that, that affects so much of mankind. And then he goes on to show us the solution. And this is a passage that is often quoted, uh, even memorized, often used in weddings, um, which is a nice thought, although it really has nothing to do with the wedding kind of union. 
But um, he goes on to then say, and maybe you've heard these words, two are better than one. And his point is simply that friendship or community, there's our word, community is better than isolation. Two is better than one. And he gives us then three examples of how that is true. He says, first of all, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, that was especially something that would resonate with the people of that time. They didn't have highways and byways the way we do or nice plowed paths through the snow that we have. You know, have you noticed they plow our little, little sidewalk thing before they ever do the road sometimes? Well, anyway, it was not true in those days. And falling into a pit or falling and busting your ankle on something would be a common thing. So you needed a second person if you were going to go on a walk um, or at least a long walk or a journey. So he talks about that. And then secondly, he says, and also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You'll hear a little bit more from Craig about that in a little bit. But by the way, that, do not in any way read into that anything sexual. That's not the point at all. It's just simply a, the truth of two being warmer when they lie down together. But then from there, verse 12, he says, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So you can battle together as well. Fight back to back if, if you're being attacked. Two are better than one. And then he says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, again, wonderful, beloved passage. Let's recap. Solomon basically says, meaninglessness comes from the number one, the loneliest number out there. And he tells the story of the rich, lonely guy. And he Paints, after he paints that picture, he then shows us the picture of health, and he says, but two is better than one. And again, two is better than one. Two is better than one. So to sum it all up, three is better than one. I'm like, wait a minute, what? How, why did he do that? That has often thrown me when I was younger. I'm like, well, where did the three come from? He's talking only about two. Well, there were ancient proverbs and other sayings that Solomon would have probably been very aware of, just like you and I hear lots of things. We've heard great thoughts from other people. Not everything that we quote comes from Scripture. We quote other people and other sources all the time. And, and um, Solomon would have been very aware of an uh, ancient proverb. I was going to share with you some more about that. I it was interesting. But, but basically, it's, it's this concept that would resonate with anybody who's in the world of fishing or maybe construction or um, even just climbing things, anywhere where ropes would be needed. And that is simply that a single-stranded rope can be effective for certain small things, but it's pretty weak, and it can snap really easily. But if you take a second rope and wrap it around that rope, it becomes much stronger, more so than just, the, you know, the sum of the parts. And yet beyond that, if you take three and braid them together, then you have a very strong rope, much stronger than they would be as individual pieces. So Solomon, being aware of that, is, I think, quoting something along that line, and he's saying two is better than one. He says it three times. Two is better than one, but three is even better than two. And this is all within the context of relationships. And he goes on to say that, that even though two is better than one, a group is better than the couple concept. But he's not done. Again, he began with a story about an isolated rich man. Now he's going to tell us another story about another uh, person who struggles in a similar way. So he continues, verse 13, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king. 
Now, when you look at that, you think, well, those, those, that's kind of unusual. Normally, the older a person gets, the wiser they get. That's the way it should work, right? It should. But in this case, that's not happening. Why? Why was this guy getting older and yet less wise? Because, as he continues, this guy no longer knows how to heed a warning. No longer knows how to heed a warning. Sadly, that is too common. Reminds me of Romans 12, verse 3, when Scripture talks about our need to be careful to not think too highly of our own thoughts, to elevate ourselves to the point that we don't need other people. We don't need input because we have it all figured out. When we get to that place, it's a dangerous place. And apparently that's where this guy was at. But in contrast, the youth who, again, Solomon has already said is wise, this wise youth may come from prison to the kingship or may have been born in, uh, in poverty within his kingdom. In other words, I don't know where he came from, but I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun, in other words, everybody, I saw all, everybody followed the youth. Everybody kept following him, this king's successor. In contrast to the old foolish king, this young an unusually wise king had people always surrounding him. Why is that? He goes on to say there was no end to all the people who were before him. Well, I think the clear insinuation is that because this guy is different than the old king who is becoming more um, uh, focused on his own, what he brings to the table, and I don't need other people, I don't listen to other people, this guy apparently as a wise person, had all kinds of people following him and wanting to be around him because he apparently was much different than that. He sought out and listened to others. So Solomon's point through all of this is that two is better than one, but three is better than two, but a larger group is even better than that, is, I think, where he's going with all of that. You know, there's a reason that solitary isolation is the worst place you can be put when it comes to our prison system, because we are not meant to be alone. It is a horrible situation, and yet a lot of us seem to be drawn, whether we realize it or are conscious of it, we seem to, to be drawn toward less and less relationship with others, becoming more and more skeptical of others or, or cynical or whatever. But we need healthy, genuine, God-honoring relationships. And you say, all right, pastor, I've got it. I'm good because I've got 927 Facebook friends. Yeah, yeah, you do, but... He continues, and he finishes up his short story here. He says, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. Like, wait, what? A leader being criticized? Oh, how can you, can you imagine that? When does that happen? Well, anyway, but then he concludes, he says, but this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, I don't know for sure what he means by that, but to me, I think maybe he's saying even that, even the criticism that is coming the way of the leader is not that big of a deal because, hey, he's got a group of friends. He's got those that do stand with him, and that's what he's focused on, and that's where his strength is coming in some respects, and so he doesn't even have to worry about that. Well, understanding all of this and how it applies, more importantly, to our lives in 2019 moving forward is really what I want us to talk about, and I would love to take another 15 minutes or so and unpack it a little bit more, but rather than do that, I want to ask you to with me, invite to the stage and welcome in just a moment a good friend of mine. His name is Craig Walker, and uh, basically I want you to do that because he can talk about it better than I can. 
Craig and his wife Debbie are kind of new with us here at the church. They are building a house, about finished building a house out north of Divide. Um, previously, Craig, with Debbie right beside him, pastored and led multiple churches in Texas and Indiana for about 35 total years in full-time ministry. About 20 of that was in church planting. And uh, anyway, he's been teaching these concepts about two being better than one and about groups being even better than that. He's been talking about that, in fact, building churches around that, not only in our country, but in multiple countries south of here, including Ecuador and Peru and Mexico. He's done all kinds of teaching in this context with his main focus being small groups, life groups. He has built successful churches on life groups and small groups, and now God has brought him our way. And so we're excited to have Craig and Debbie with us. And, and Craig could talk a lot about how ultimately two being better than one in the purest form would mean our relationship with the Lord. He knows that. In fact, I tell you what, this man and his wife love the Lord like few people I've known. It's just such a joy to be around them. In fact, one of the things you need to add to your to-do list is to find a way to get to know Craig and Debbie. Maybe you meet them at Starbucks or take them out to lunch or have them over for dinner or whatever, but you need to get to know this couple. They are amazing and fantastic. But rather than talk about personal relationship with the Lord, which he could go on and on about as well, I've asked him, the elders and I have asked him to come and help us kick off our theme for this year by coming and talking about life groups and what we're going to try to do as a church and how his uh, leadership is on the table for us and helping us in, in many, many ways. Because basically, as I already said, our, our focus for this year in 2019 is going to just simply be two words. You'll hear us talk about it a lot throughout the year of 2019 because we believe in it. We want to be all about loving God, loving people, and changing lives through missions, as we talked about last week, discipleship, which we talk about all the time and continue to, and also community, which we're going to focus on this year because we believe, and here's the two words, we believe we are better together. We are better together, and we want to focus on that a lot this year. And so, with that being said, would you help me? Would you put your hands together and welcome Craig Walker to our stage as he comes and shares with us? Thank you. Glad to be here today. Uh, Scott has quoted a passage that has meant a lot to me over my life in ministry. In fact, when I first went into ministry, I pastored a church. When I got there, the church is really in a state of great disrepair. The parking lot was falling apart. The roof was falling apart. Uh, the walls, everything looked really bad. But it, and a young man had just trusted Christ. And so I looked around and said, let's, let's just, let's see if we can't make a difference in this building. And and, and I thought, I've got some kids, and they can all work, and we'll just put a new roof on the building. And so they had a new worship center, an old, old, run-down uh, education building, two-story. And so I called this young man I'd been mentoring and said, Hey, Kevin, would you meet me up there on the, at the church, and we'll go up there and look at the roof and see what needs done. So Kevin agreed, met me up there. We crawled up on the roof. This is in the middle of the winter in, in around Dallas, Texas. So you can understand, it's not really that cold, but it still gets kind of cold. So Kevin and I crawl up on the roof, and we're walking around kind of inspecting everything that's there. And, and, and while we're there, a northerner blew in. I mean, a really cold wind, and, and, the, and the temperatures just plummeted. It just got cold instantly. But what I didn't realize is that the wind also blew the ladder away from the building. And so we're on a two-story building, young guy, new to ministry, with me, trusting me, and here we are walking around. And, and I'm, I yell because it's about to get dark, and I'm thinking, this could, this could get 
to be a problem. I mean, we could freeze to death up here. And so I yell, no one's around, and this is before cell phones, there's no one to call. And uh, I just looked at Kevin and I said, well, Kevin, and I quoted Ecclesiastes 4, highlighting the part where two lie together, they can keep warm. <laughs> well, Kevin looked at me like that calf staring at a new gate, and like, I'm, I don't know if he's envisioning spooning. I've never said that in church before, by the way. I don't know what he's got in mind. But he looked at me, I, and I said, well, you know what that means? And he said, yeah, it means we're going to freeze to death. <laughs> I, think, I think his attitude towards small groups was pretty much, if I'm being transparent with you, it was pretty much like mine. Um, if you talk to me at one time in my life about joining together with a small group of people, meeting in a living room, uh, reading the Bible, praying and sharing your life together, being transparent, getting real. If you would have said that to me at one time in my life, I, I would have said, honestly, I'd rather freeze to death. <laughs> I, I'm not into this, you know? And, and I, I'll be honest with you, my, my, my um, attitude towards small groups changed, and it changed radically over the years. But it, it took some time, and it took some events in my life to, to really wake me up, and it took Scripture to do that. But I got to tell you, I'm looking at people today, a group in here this morning. Your attitude may be a, a lot of people's just like mine. Maybe you wouldn't go so far to say, I'd rather freeze to death than join a small group. But you would say, yeah, that's really just not for me. I'm more of an introvert. I don't do as well in a small group of people. I'd rather have, you know, I like one or two or three. But no more than that in my life. And, and it really doesn't resonate with me. And some of you would, you know, you wouldn't go so far to tell Pastor Scott that. Maybe you wouldn't tell me that. But you do say that. And the reason I know that you say that is because actions speak louder than words. The truth of the matter is, a lot of us just don't value community and fellowship the way God does. And we know it because we don't do it. Instead of saying, I'd rather freeze to death, we'd say, you know what, I, I know that small groups are important. I know that I, I really should do that. But man, I am so busy right now. And so we don't do it. And say, so I really need to do that. I know that I should, but no one's ever invited me to join a group. I know that I should do that. I know it's a really good thing and God talks about it, but I don't know what I would do with my kids. There's really not a group in my area. There's no one that's ever invited me. I don't know, you know for all these things, for whatever reason... We just don't do it. And, and what that tells us is that we really don't understand. We really don't get it that two are better than one. The threefold cord is not easily broken. There's strength in numbers. We really don't value community and the fellowship of other believers as God does. Well, fortunately for you and for me, God speaks a lot about it. And he underscores it throughout the scriptures. And I'm just going to give you one verse this morning. And then I'm going to introduce you to some people that I've met throughout my years in ministry of doing small groups or life groups. And then I'm going to ask you to do something. That's, that's, that's it. That's all I'm going to do this morning. So let me do this. Let me read this passage. If you want to open your Bible, uh, open your iPhone up to your, your favorite scriptures or your favorite um, translation. I'm going to be reading from the... New Living Translation, and I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 3 and 4. I want you to see what God says about it and what God's people understood, those that understood it, what they, they would tell us about community and fellowship. Listen to this. 
1 John 1, 3 through 4. John writes this. He said, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, understand that John's writing to a group of people that he's really having to convince them that, no, Jesus was real. Maybe kind of like us today, we have to convince them that Jesus is he's the real deal. I mean, we've, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him. He said in verse 1, our hands have handled him. I mean, this is the real deal. And now we proclaim that to you. We proclaim Christ to you. Why does he do that? He tells us. He actually tells us two reasons that he would go to these links to do it. He said, he said first of all, so that you may have fellowship with us. Fellowship means to have something in common. It is to be united around something. He said, in this case, he said, by the way, fellowship is not the same thing as friendship. A lot of you have friends, you have people you know, but that's not fellowship. I mean, you may have fellowship around something, but we're not talking about a biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is more than friendship. It's people coming together, being united around the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he's the boss of my life, and we use that to build one another up. And John said, this is such an awesome thing. We proclaim to you what we have actually heard, what we've actually seen, so that you may have fellowship with us. This is a really big deal. We want you to come into that fellowship. And then he says this, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see that? It, it isn't just friendship. It's, it's saying, I'm coming together with you for a purpose that we can build one another up and know Jesus better. And John said, that's what I'm writing to you for. By the way, he adds something to it. He said, that's, not just, he said, that's wonderful. But get this. He said, there is another reason I'm writing to you. And it's down in verse 4. He said, we're writing to these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. Somehow or another, when you and I come into that saving relationship with God, when we finally get Jesus and we, we come into fellowship with other believers who believe the same thing, who are, who are on the same road that we are, he said, man, this is, and it's not just us that you have fellowship. Now you bring God into the picture. Now you're really making this cord strong. And you have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And he said, but you get something out of life that you just can't get any other way. Your joy, your joy. John, John said, I'm writing because I want your joy to be made complete. I don't know how happy you are in life, how fulfilled you are in life, but I promise you this, that if you are not rightly connected with other Christ followers, you're not living life as good as you could. What am I saying by all this? I'm just saying that we are literally, as Scott said, we are, we are way better together. There are some things that God will not do for you, do in you or through you apart from being connected in community. He just won't. Let me tell you about some people. These are some people that I've met over my, my time in ministry. These are people that, like you and me, they'd say, I'd rather freeze to death than do that. Or rather, I, you know, I, I know that's a good thing, but... But something changed in their life that got their attention that caused them to say, yeah, 
I think I want to give that a try. Let me tell you about Rita. Rita was a lady. She was probably in her early 60s when I met her, and I was a lot younger and darker hair at that time in my life. And, uh, but Rita came up to me, and I was a pastor at the time, and, but I'd committed to my wife. After the service is over, we're going on vacation, and I want you guys to meet me in a car because as soon as the service is over today, I'm out of here. I'm not staying around for an hour or two like I always do. We're just out of here. And Debbie kind of, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I know better. And I said, no, I really mean it. I promised you when the service is over, I'm out of here today. And we got other pastors. We got other life group leaders. They don't have to have me. I can be gone. Yeah, yeah. She didn't believe me. So I was determined. I'm going to keep my word no matter what. The service ended. Rita came running up to me, tears just flowing out of her face, and said, I got to talk with you. I said, Rita, I would love to talk to you today, but I really can't. I, I've given my word to my wife, and she's sitting out in the car with me. We're going on vacation. I'm only gone for two weeks, and so it's going to be about three Sundays before you see me again. And I, I said, so here, go talk to, and I told her one of the pastors. And she said, no, I don't want to talk to them. I just want to talk to you. And I said, well, Rita, I'm really sorry, but I've given my wife my word, and I really got to keep it. And, uh, and I said, here's what, here, Rita, let me help you out. This is something you can do. If you don't want to talk to one of the pastors, here's a life group that you really ought to go to. And I really mentioned a couple of names of people that I knew that she knew and said, why don't you go join and meet with these people in that group? And I said, I really think that'll make the difference in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I know they will love you and they will help you. So I went away. You may criticize me for that. I just, I, said, I just think I'm doing what I ought to do. I'm keeping my word to my wife. And I went away. And I got to tell you something else I did. I forgot all about Rita. I told her I'd talk to her when I got home. I forgot all about it. I had such a good time when I got home. I was ready to preach again. And I didn't even think about Rita anymore. So that Sunday at the end of the service, I look up and see her and said, Oh, my gosh, I wonder what happened with Rita. So I called her over and said, Rita, what's going on in your life? Tell me, what did you need that Sunday that I was here? You wanted to talk. And she said, oh, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> I said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, but then the, I guess my curiosity got the best of me because I said, why don't you need me anymore? And she said, because I went to that life group that you told me to. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, what happened? And she said, well, I got there, and she said they started a meeting like, I guess, the way they always do. And she said, and I started crying. She just like I was crying when I talked to you. She said, bawling my eyes out. And she said, and I couldn't quit, couldn't quit crying. And she said, and I just got up, and I walked out of the room, and two other ladies followed me out of the room. And they said, Rita, what's going on? What's the matter? And she said, I told them what was wrong. And I'm having to drag, I mean, every word out of her mouth. And I said, Rita, what was wrong? And she said, it was my father. She said, he's been dead for 15 years. And she said, if I could find his grave, I would have gone and stomped on his grave. I hate that man so much. He molested me almost every day of my life until I was old enough to run away from home at age 16. I said, what happened in life group that changed you so much that you don't feel like that anymore and you're free? And she said, they just told me I had to forgive my dad. I said, did you do that? She said, yes, I did. I was looking at a lady just a few weeks ago, bawling her eyes out. I'm looking at a lady that's been set free. I said, why? Because she forgave. Here's the weird thing. Rita had been coming to church for a long time and hearing sermons about forgiveness, bitterness, and everything, and she had never gotten free, but she went to life group, and she connected in a community, and God did something that he won't do. Just in, when you're all alone. And she found the grace of God to forgive a father that had sexually abused her for years. And she got free. Oscar was in my group. I'm leading this group, and we're, we're sitting here. Oscar's in his 
later 60s. I, I'm younger at this time in my life. I really am. I'm telling you all these stories about people in their 60s, and that's me now. But I was young then, and Oscar was sitting in my group, and we did an icebreaker. We just kind of started the group off, and I, and, and I just asked everybody, I said, just as an icebreaker, just kind of get everyone talking. I said, what does what God have you here for? Just, just tell me, what do you think God has you here for? And so everybody goes around the room and shares something, and, and Oscar just didn't say anything. And, uh, and I watched him sit there as the group went on. We got into the lesson. We're moving on. We're a mile away from him. But Oscar is still back here in that icebreaker question thinking, what am I here for? And, then, and suddenly in the middle of the meeting, he just kind of just jumped with a start and just lifted up his hand and started talking, just like no one else is in the room, and, and said, I know what I'm here for. And I said, that's awesome, Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, okay, what are, what are you here for? Kind of catching up with Oscar now. And Oscar said, you know what, this is the deal. He said, I have been a Christian most of my life. I have been a, ch- been a churchgoer forever. And he said, I thought my mission in life was to be a good man, to be a good dad, to be a provider for my family, and, and to stay out of trouble and, and, and to kind of obey God. He said, I thought that was my mission in life. He said, I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, it just, it just dawned on me, God made me for something more, didn't he? And I said, yes, he did, Oscar. And I watched Oscar's life literally be transformed over the next several weeks. He just became a, a man of God on mission for God. This is crazy, though. Oscar had been in church most of his life, and God didn't give him that until he got into a life group. Someone else in my group invited him. And just over an icebreaker, the guy's life was changed. Tony came to me. I was his life group leader. Tony came and said, after a group meeting, and said, I'm ashamed to admit this. He said, but I'm in debt. He said, I got $80,000 of credit card debt. I said, Tony, I'm not a financial counselor, but what are you going to do about it? Tony said, I don't know what to do about it. And I said, do you tithe? He said, no, I can't afford to tithe. I said, I think you can't afford not to tithe. And so I just encouraged him to just start honoring God. When you begin to honor God, it just invites God into your life to do what only God can do. So I said, why don't you just start tithing? Why don't you honor God? And why don't you go do a Dave Ramsey course? And why don't you do a Crown Financial Ministry course? I left. I was gone. And that was Tony and I talking right before I, I moved away to plant my next church. Tony continues to be in the life group and to lead the life group, actually. And, and Tony emailed me regularly. And within two years, he was completely debt-free. Two years, completely debt-free. I, I don't know why. I don't know how many times he attended church and how long he'd sat there and how many sermons he had heard about getting out of debt and he never got out of debt. But in life group, he found the courage and the grace of God to do something about his situation. Dodie had been in a group. She quit attending her group, actually. She'd gone to it regularly for a while, and all of a sudden she just kind of started not showing up. And we had a habit in our groups that we told them every week, you call everybody in the group, just check on them, make sure everything's going well, and remind them we're meeting whatever day, next Tuesday at 7 o'clock, whatever time it is, and just say, hey, I hope you'll be there. And we do that every single week. And, uh, and Dodie was in a group that they had called her every week for three months, and she wouldn't even answer her phone. 
She'd go to church, but she just quit coming to life group. And, and, the, and the people asked their leader, said, can, can we just kind of scratch Dodie off the list? Because we have this telephone list. And said, can we just scratch her off the list? Because she's, she's just kind of made her mind up. She's not coming back. The leader said, they asked me, he said, what do you do in a situation like that? And I, I said, you got to just do what God's telling you to do. But I generally keep people on forever and just keep trying. And, and, he, and so the leader actually gave his team, his, his group, permission to scratch her name off the list. Well, someone got to be the telephone caller that doesn't normally do it, and they had an old list, and they actually called Dodie, and she answered the phone. The following week, she showed up at Life Group, and the leader happened to be talking about community, how we're better together, how we're stronger together, and the difference that God makes, and how the devil works to separate us from others so that he can destroy us. He's not after the whole herd. He just wants to kind of pick us off one sheep at a time. And Dodie heard that lesson and, and just committed to get back in the life group, and, and her life was transformed. But here's the story behind the story. Lloyd, Dodie was a lead attorney in her firm. Or excuse me, she was a junior attorney in her firm. And she just landed a case that was bigger than any senior partner in, in the firm had ever landed. She won the case, made more money than anyone in the firm had ever made. Now, all of a sudden, every, the other people in the firm are closing the doors. She walks down the hall, they close the doors. They don't want to talk to her. They don't like her anymore. They're jealous of her, and they, they're treating her terribly. They're wanting her to quit the firm, and she just falls into depression. She, she's okay enough she can come to a Sunday service, but she won't come to a small group. And the depression just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And the night they called her, she had started contemplating suicide. And she came back into the group. And just in that group, she just heard how the devil works and what God does and what God has for us. And Dodie's life was transformed. So much so that she became one of my partners when I went off and started planning other churches. She became one of my supporters, one of my best supporters when I moved around and, and planted other churches. God just, all I'm trying to say to you is that God will do things in your life when you get serious about connecting and fellowship with other believers that he won't do any other way. And you can say, well, what about you, Craig? What's God done in your life? Debbie and I have six children. There was a time in our life when one of them had just, I don't know, just seemed like they weren't walking with God. You know how it is when you know your kids better than maybe they know their kids and know themselves? My son had gone away to college, and he would come home, and it was still yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Obedient, still uh, worked at the church, served in the church. If you just looked at him and talked to him, you wouldn't think anything had changed in his life or his behavior. Hey, he's just the same old guy he's always been. But somehow a dad just knows. So I went to him and I said, hey, son, what's going on in your life? Something doesn't seem right. Oh, dad, I'm fine. And, and I asked him this like week after week until he gets mad at me and said, why do you keep asking me this? I told you that I'm fine. And, and so I called my life group together and I said, guys, I need your help. I said, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know if anything is going on. But I know this is going on for almost a year now. And my son, something's not right in his heart with God. And I just sense it and I can't do anything about it. Would you pray with me? Now, this is humbling yourself. You admit your need. That invites God in your life. And in that small group, as a pastor, I got transparent. I shared with my group what's going on in my life. I said, would you pray with me? And they coveted they would pray with me. Within two weeks, 
I mean, I've been trying this for a year. But when my group, when I got right with my group and told them what was going on and invited them to pray within two weeks, my son came in, fell across the bed, broke, brokenhearted, and opened up to my wife and I and told us everything they had done, everything had been done. And with complete repentance, his life was restored. I, I'm just trying to say to you, this is all I'm trying to get across today. If you forget everything else you heard this morning, I just want you to get this one thing, that, that God's going to do things for you or in you or through you that he will not do for you alone. You literally are better together. i got to tell you, when you begin to experience life change, see people in your group getting things like this, or it begins to happen to you, your joy will be complete. You begin to live life on a whole new level. That you'll never, ever live alone. I told you, I'm going to ask you to do something. Here's what I want to ask you to do. When you came in today, there's a little card in your seat. So I'm going to ask you to do this. It's going to take a minute. So let's do this really quick. Everybody grab that little white piece of paper or beige piece of paper in your seat. Now I'm going to ask you to do something with it. And, but but you, can, it, you can just understand, before you leave today, you can put it in your pocket. You can throw it away. You can wad it up. But just do this for me right now. Just write your name across it. There's enough. Everybody can grab one. Find one. Everyone, let's all do this together. Just across the top, just write your name. First and last name. Kind of write it legibly in case you decide you're going to let me see it. Write your name across the top of it, okay? Everybody. Let's all do this together. Let's all do it. Write your name across the top. If you're not doing it right now, this is a great time. I know you got a rebellious heart. Just repent and grab that little piece of paper and write your name on it. Got your name on it? Now then, I want you to put your phone number and your email address. All right, your phone number and your email address. Go ahead and write it on there. Thank you for doing that. And now then, turn it over. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. That's it. All right? Now, I'm going to mention, give you some options, but here's the one thing I want to ask you to do. Right now, I'm going to ask you, would you agree to be a catalyst to start a life group? All right? So here's what you're going to do. Just write the word catalyst. Remember, you don't have to do anything with this piece of paper. Right now, you're just doing an exercise. So write the word catalyst across the top. All right? You got it? Catalyst. Write the word across the top. C-A-T... A-Y-L-L-Y-S-T. Thank you. You got it? If you spell it wrong, we don't take off for that. It's okay. All right. Now then, right below the word catalyst, if you would consider being a catalyst to start a group, now, don't do it yet. What is a catalyst? Somebody, somebody, they just, they cause something to happen. That's what a catalyst does. They're an activator. And you could be sitting there thinking, okay, you're going to ask me to be a catalyst to start a group. And, uh, and I'm really, I haven't known the Lord that long. I get that. Or I'm not a, a Bible scholar. I really don't know the Bible that well. I get that too. Uh, let me just tell you up front that if you agree, you'll be a catalyst. First of all, you're thinking, I don't know how to teach. As a catalyst, you're just kind of getting it together. You're just causing it to happen. So you may not even be the teacher. So you don't even have to worry about that at all. And so right now you're saying, I'll just be a catalyst. I'll be the one that causes this thing to happen with a few people around me. And, and so if you decide to do it, just understand this. We're going to be with you, and we're going to help you every step of the way. 
What you don't know, uh, we don't know, but we'll figure it out together. We'll get answers for you. We're going to work with you and help you be a catalyst. You're just going to be an activator to get a few people together that you can experience life together in the name of Jesus Christ, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're just going to make it happen. Let me just tell you, most of the people that I've seen be really successful in small group leaderships were people that are, one, scared to death, two, had little Bible knowledge, and three, didn't know the Lord very long, hadn't known the Lord, known the Lord very long. They're some of the best leaders I have ever met or been around. So if you're in any one of those categories, you're probably going to be a really, really good leader. So here's what I want you to do. Right at the top, you wrote the word catalyst. Right below it, say yes. You don't have to expel it out, explain anything, just write the word yes. I would consider doing that. I'm praying for at least eight people today say, I would be a catalyst to help this church launch this small group ministry. I know we've already got groups going, but we need more groups and more and more and more groups. So we're going to ask you again and again and again. So today, would eight of you, at least eight of you say, yes, I will do that. Or you can write the word no, I would rather freeze to death. Whatever it is. Yes, I will do it. Or, or no, you can literally write no, and I want you to do that. If you say, I'm not going to do that, then if you know I'm not going to do it, just write no, it's okay. Nobody's mad at you. God's not going to send lightning down, maybe. And so just, just be honest. I'll tell you what he hates. He hates a liar. So don't lie to me and say, I'm going to do it if you're not. And don't say you're not. If you, oh, yeah, well, you can. You can do that. It's okay. He doesn't mind that kind of liar. You can lie and say, I want, and then change your mind. But here's what else you can do. The third thing you can do is just write maybe. Doggone it, I'm not sure, but okay, maybe I would do that. Maybe, right? Maybe. Any, any one of those words, that's fine. In just a minute, we're going to pass the offering plate, and, and I'm going to ask you to put it in there. Even if you said no, even if you said maybe, just drop it in there anyway. Humor me, drop it in the plate, okay? Here's something else I want to ask you to do. Some of you, you just need to be in a group. You're not going to lead it. I understand that. You're not going to facilitate it. Big, no big deal. But you said, but I, if somebody called me and said, join my group, I'm in. I would do it. Okay? Then here's what I want you to do. Let me just say this real quick. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, I don't think I've said anything today that would offend you. Sometimes you come to church, we say things that would be offensive to you. You don't get it. You don't buy into it. You don't want it. I get that. There's nothing I said today that should be offensive to you. But what I'm telling you to do, if you would agree to this, if you would say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in a small group. You may experience God doing something in your life that you've never thought he would do. He may open your eyes and let you see Jesus Christ, and that would be the place that you would be born again. If you're here today and you're not a believer, I'm going to ask you just to write join. An un or if you're a believer or an unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Write the word join. Below the word catalyst, write the word join, and it's write yes. I'm in. Just call me. I'll do it. No. I'd rather freeze to death. Or maybe. Would you do it? I'm telling you, if you forget everything else, just please know. There are some things that God will not do in your life apart from getting in community. I'm telling you, he spoke to me. I mean, not like he told me, like audibly. But the scripture said, if... If two or three of you agree to anything, pray and ask it, and I will do it for you. I've been asking. I've been begging. I've been crying for my son. When I told my group, God said, yes. There's something in your life. There's a level of life you're not experiencing that God said you will not experience apart from being in the fellowship of other believers because you are literally better together. Turn the paper in. 
Let's do it. Just imagine, though. Just imagine if we become the kind of church that literally helps people connect and grow like this together. Just imagine what we become. Others will look at us. Others will say, my, how they love each other. I want to be a part of that fellowship. I can only imagine. That.